You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 339. Hey, hey, hello, everybody. We are super excited to be here. Another odd-numbered episode. And I teased last week that those 39s, we've got James on the 39s. James Hudson is on the show. How are you doing, James? <laughs> what up, y'all? Uh, you know, I'm good. And I'm happy to... Could I be forever 39? Can that somehow translate to my age as well? Because I like it. Uh, sure. We could just do anniversaries there, so. of your 39th birthday over and over again. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> well, yeah, 39's in the distance for me as well. So, you know, I'm like, ah, the good old days. Yeah, tell me about it. I know we're all getting gray or losing hair or, you know, some combination of the two. All of the you know, above. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. All right. Well, it is episode 339. I am your host, Andrew. I am joined by my lovely, wonderful wife, Anitra. That's me. All right, I got it in there. I didn't forget. I bet Anitra thought I was going to completely and totally forget it, but I didn't. Maybe. And at this point, we're going to switch over. We're going to talk about a fact about our episode number 339. So the most recent Olympics was in Tokyo, 2021. The Summer Olympics, the time shifted, one year shifted 2020 Olympics that were actually in 2021. There were Winter Olympics in between, but I'm talking summer here. There were 339 medal events at the most recent Summer Olympics. Now, okay. people probably don't really like it. When you think about it, you realize it. But like it changes every Olympic Games because they always vote on new games that they might add or they might take a couple out. Or you might have. Here's the weird thing. There's 33 sports with various variations that create 339 medal events. Sure, because you've got like lots of gymnastic events and lots of um, running events. Yeah, and and stuff like, yeah like exactly. That. Yeah. Exactly. So. 339 medal events across 33 sports. The U.S. won the most gold medals at 39, followed by China at 38 and Japan at 27. If you look at total medal count, so gold, silver, and bronze, you have the U.S. at 113, China at 89, and the ROC, which is the Russian Olympic Committee or something. It's like the not Russians. That yeah, were, right. Yep. Or whatever it was. Anyway, they had 71. So that is my my fact for our... It was a lovely workaround they had there, right? Like, you're not know, invited right? to the Olympics, so we're going to make a different thing that is us, but... It's, it's not the officially Olympics. the Russian team. It's a bunch of people from Russia who got together and decided they were going to the Olympics. Yeah, that's, mean, that's how we stick to the punishments yeah, that we don't totally. I guess the premise there is that you're punishing the Russian program, but not the Russian athletes, even though they're... That the was the idea, yeah. ...partaking in the... I don't know. Look, I, whatever. I, I have no idea. Listen, IRS, I am no longer James Hudson. I am Jimmy Jim, and I don't owe you any taxes, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, either way, the U.S. still won 50% more medals. USA. More than 50% more medals than the Russian Olympic Committee. So that's my fact. 339 medal events at the Tokyo 2021 Olympics. Nice. I have a message from our sponsor that's based on another listener question. Mm -hmm. Where do you start if you want to buy a house? First Move Financial tells us the very first thing you need to do is start saving as much money as you can. Cut back on anything you don't need (laughs) and kick your savings into overdrive. Then look up your credit reports on annualcreditreport.com because you want to know if you have incorrect or incomplete data in your credit history. 
When you start getting closer to having a down payment saved, you can visit a few banks to get mortgage quotes and see what they think you can afford. Don't trust their estimate. Do your own. Can you actually afford the monthly payment that they say you can? The way to find out is to find the difference between that payment and your current rent. Then save the difference each month. If you have to dip into your savings, you can't afford that estimate. Remember, though, your monthly payments will be more than just the principal and the interest towards the mortgage. It will also include taxes and insurance and home maintenance. Once you have a down payment, ideally at least 5%, and you know you can afford the monthly cost, and you qualify for a loan, then you're ready to start looking for a realtor. Ask as many people as you can for referrals of who would be good to work with. If you want to talk through your specific situation and how to achieve your goals, set up a time to talk at firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers today. All right. Thanks so much to the team over at First Move Financial for sponsoring another episode of the Family Gamers podcast. So, James, what have you been playing on your side of the world? You know, we've actually had a nice uptick of gaming at the Hudson House. We were we were in a dry spell for a bit. I don't know if you guys uh, struggle with that. Where oh, yes, yeah. Um, yeah, it just happens. You know, yeah, you just don't get games to the table. Even mentally, I'm like, I really sh- we should play some games, and then we don't. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So I've got some like, especially with the kids specifically, I've got some go to games that I don't have to think about. Right, like we just get those out and we just play them. Patchwork mm-hmm. with Stella. Yep, Stella loves patchwork. I love patchwork. It's just kind of our game that we've bonded over. So we just go to that one. I don't have to think about it too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me and Parker, that would be Star Wars Destiny. We still play that. We've got our decks built. We've got like I've got like eight decks that I built. They're not like you're know, not changing them, you know. But it's just like we want to get mm-hmm. those out and play them. Grab a deck and, and let's play it. Uh, but some new stuff that we've been playing. Uh, the family played Flamecraft. Um, nice. We all enjoyed Flamecraft. It, you know, it's I think it's a perfect weight for the family where there's enough there for yeah. us us gamery folk, but you know, not quite enough. Uh, too not too complicated that the kids start glazing over with rules yeah. explanation yep. <laughs> yep. like that. Do you have the deluxe or do you have this the standard edition of that one? I do have the deluxe. Yeah, I backed the Kickstarter. Um, nice. I pretty much just trust Peter Vaughn. If Peter Vaughn puts out a game, I trust that it's gonna be sure. you know 100%. it's gonna be worth having. Mm-hmm. There's there's several the uh, creators that I I think for for me personally. I don't even barely look at the game or the or the page. I'm like, how much is it? Does that fit the monthly budget? Okay, it's not crazy. Right. Cool, do it. Right. And know? sometimes it's just to support that person. Sometimes, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, you're going to get a good game while you're supporting someone that you, you know, like and respect. So, great. So, here's the thing for me personally. I know people like, James, I see on your uh, Kickstarter uh, page, your super backer, and you've backed almost 1,100 games. Uh, <laughs> how many of those are actually games? I was definitely very excited early on. I pretty much backed everything. But now that, you know, I live in California and space is a premium, I don't, right? But I do mm-hmm. still back a lot of people for the $1 pledge to just support them. And, you know, there's people that follow me that see that and then it helps them get the word out for their game. So, you know, a rising tide raises all ships in our industry, that sort of thing. Sure. Definitely. But I definitely like, I still back a lot of games. <laughs> I still <laughs> like board games and I still like, I like the process of being a part of something from the beginning, even if I'm just sure, skimming. Sure. The updates and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The other game that Park and I played a lot recently was the Marvel Zombicide Heroes Resistance, I think is, is, is the, the retail version of that that it's called. Okay, sure, sure. I was really surprised. You know, Parker's 14 now. He's turned into that like 
Oh, okay, yep. I'll, I'll play a board game with you. I know exactly um, that. That's face. so weird. You're doing an impression of my 14 year old, not yours. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just worldwide 14 year olds. Yeah. Um, and so we were we were just perusing Barnes and Noble uh, one day, and and just you know we like to just look over stuff. We don't normally pick stuff up too often. But then he just he picked up that game on his own and started looking at the back and reading it. And he's like, "Hey, Dad, this looks pretty cool." And I was like. What did you say? Yeah, I'm sorry. What did you just say to me? <laughs> he, I mean, he never says anything anymore. He's just he's just doesn't. Speak he grunts and shuffles around the house. You right? get one, you know, ask him a question. The one word, resp- yes. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. I ask how was school, and I get it was school. Which, which is better than the 14 year old. Sometimes just gives me the. Uh. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I've learned to ask very specific questions about the day to try to draw more out, but still, yeah. it does get a lot. It doesn't right? always work. Yeah. Right. So anyway, we I brought it home and we we ran through the first three scenarios and it was uh, it was fun and it was fun to see him. You know, he never played Zombicide and you know I thought I don't I've played a lot of Zombicide in the early days, um, but I haven't played a lot recently or anything like that. And uh, I forgot, you know, what it's a good system. That's the reason it's popular, right? right. Like the system works. What? And Who knew? There's a lot of fun decision space there, of, and and it was fun, like. I tried to give him the lead, you know, what do you want to do? Like we can, who, who wants to go first? And what do you think we should try to go accomplish right now? And look at those zombies over there. They're getting, they're kind of building up that sort of stuff. So, and then when we were done, I'm like, Hey, do you think any of your friends would like to play this? You know, we can have a day where we invite one of your friends. Cause he's, I think he's been a little reluctant to bring board gaming into his friend circle. Mm-hmm. You sure, know, he just sure. wanted to be cool. And he, I don't know if he yep. thinks they're going to think board games are cool or not. So we're dealing with all that fun stuff. And then on the uh, in on the adult side, in the, in the adult side of playgroup, I've got to go to two game days recently that were played Earth, played Dice Manor, which is a brand new game from uh, uh, Arcane Wonders. I almost said Awakened Realms. I was like, no, no, yeah. that's not right. <laughs> uh, Arcane Wonders. So those were both really fun. Earth, so many icons. My brain went to kind of mush with the icon suit. <laughs> But about the last third of the game, I was getting it. But at yeah. that point, it was I had already messed up. You know, <laughs> at that you're like, oh well, if I had understood this before, I've heard it's like super buttery smooth once you know what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, once you get comfortable with those icons, then it makes sense, right? All it's just an engine builder. Yeah, yeah. but I lost by like seventy five points. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, did I see pictures? You were at that game day with Ruel and. Uh, mm-hmm. and- all the people yesterday, so that, that looked like a yeah, so yesterday specifically, it was Good Time Society was celebrating. They got a new studio, and so they did a 12 hour streamathon. And I went up there just to hang out and play some games. And then I think I ended up playing like six games on stream or something because wow. they're like, Hey, do you know how to teach Night of the Ninja? I'm like, Yeah, so <laughs> we did that. And they're like, yeah. Hey, I brought Strike with me, that was the game I brought. Have you guys played Strike? Like Strike? Of course, yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Okay. yeah, then so then that turned into a strike championship right because it always does it always does so of the 16 people or so that were there i ran them all through each winner then came at the end and played each other for the overall good time society streamathon strike championship absolutely fantastic it was was, was good times it was good times so yeah yeah. sure i gotta tell you though uh real quickly dice manor i don't know how much you know about this yeah tell me about it so if you like the dice game las vegas right uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it. You know, you roll the dice and you, you kind of sort them all out one to six and then they're groups. And then you have to commit one set of numbers to an area mm-hmm. for like area control. Mm-hmm. And then everybody else takes their turn and then you re-roll all your dice. 
And so to, when you get toward the end, you're like, okay, I really would like some fours because there's good opportunity there. We don't roll any fours. You roll a bunch of crap that you've already yep. gotten and you still yep. have to put them in there. Mm-hmm. But it's really fun. Lots of stand-up moments. So it kind of takes that dice mechanic and overlays a really nice Euro mechanic board game. And so you, uh, you're acquiring pieces of layouts of houses you're getting to kind of work up and down this board that scores you points and gets you other abilities and kind of like other scoring opportunities. Mm-hmm. And then you, you use those pieces to build out your manner that at the end of the game, you're going to take people on a tour of. And so it's kind of like, oh gosh, what's that? Castles of Mad King Ludwig? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sure. So it's like if you took the spatial part of building a house and like all the rooms connecting and having the different mm-hmm. patterns there with the dice mechanic of Las Vegas and they had a little uh, board game baby that it'd be kind of something in that range, but it plays in like 45 minutes to an hour. So it, it, okay. it it's a really nice midway yeah, uh, nice. kind of range. It's really nice. 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 I like it. How about you, honey? What have you been playing? Uh, well, I'm going to talk about the game that I played that fits that. I don't really want to think let's pull this off the shelf category, mm-hmm. which has definitely become Santorini for me and Asher. It's a good game. He mm-hmm. really, really wanted to play a game. And I was looking at the time and I'm like, dude, you need to go to bed in like half an hour. I, I love how he dropped, by the like way. Half did, an hour. Did you, does Stella do this to you where it's like, <laughs> what? I have five minutes before bed. Hey, dad, you want to play a board game? <laughs> No, that one that one doesn't fly in our house. So they don't try it anymore. Uh. <laughs> well, but like he had, he had had a little bit of a tough day and stuff. So I was like, all right, I don't want to delay bedtime, but I do want to give you what you're asking for. So I kind of looked and I was like, he's never going to say no to this. Hey, Asher, how about Santorini? <laughs> so we sure. played and had a good time with that. We tried the Golden Fleece or Golden mm-hmm. Ram golden expansion, yeah. which basically just brings a third god power into the game in a two-player game. But you can only use that power if your guy is standing next to the golden ram figure on the board. So it adds one small extra layer of strategy of, oh, if I go over here, then I can also do this thing. Hmm. I liked it. In our situation, it led to a place where it was really easy for me to kind of back him into a corner and then just steamroll him. But, you know, we enjoyed it. He enjoyed it too. Well, I, you know, I, I really respect the way that you kind of took what James was talking about and launched off of it to talk about a game. So I also am going to do the very same thing. <laughs> so much like the castle building thing that you described in Dice Manor, we played a game that involves at least, uh, or I'm stretching it here, at least from a setup perspective, the arrangement of a house. And it's a game called Home Sweet Home or Not. Yeah, it's got a modular board that's supposed to represent a house. Just think of like the way Ice Cool goes together. That's the easiest way to think about it. Right. Have you played this? Are you familiar with this at all? No. Okay, so this is a, it's kind of a weird game. There's a series of scenarios in the rule book, and you have to set up the house in whatever way it, it wants you to. And they've got these little clips kind of like they do in Ice Cool, but they represent like the doors. And the goal of the game essentially is by following... Generally, the framework of the of the rules, plus a couple of extra scenario specific rules to accomplish some goal. And it's is it always cooperative or just the scenarios we've played so far have been cooperative? You know it's, always cooperative. it's always cooperative. OK, but it's always it has something to do with you walking into rooms, finding the items that are in those rooms and doing something with them. 
So the one we played, we had to put things away, quote unquote, before too many visitors showed up. Yeah. So all the rooms are numbered. All the cards have number. Or most of the cards have numbers on them. And you have to go around and, and pick up the cards that have been placed face down in the rooms and bring them to the correct rooms. It's pretty basic. It was the kind of the entry level. Scenario. It was the intro scenario. Yeah. But there's a whole deck of like scenario specific cards that are also going to go in that may or may not come out as you deal things out and stuff like that. It's an interesting concept. I like the idea behind it. I'm not sold on the execution quite yet. Uh, this is something that we have in for review. It's really difficult to get the cards out of the rooms once they're laying flat on the cardboard. Especially and, the small rooms. Like yeah, The small rooms small. are just big enough to hold two cards. And then once you put those like door clips on, you almost have to like pick up the whole room. Yeah, you're and tearing the house out. apart to get the yeah. cards out of it kind of thing. So, I mean, the idea is, is interesting. I'm going to have to play through a few more of the scenarios to see the different dynamics that they use. But yeah, so it was Home Sweet Home or Not from DeVere. Hmm. Now, let's see, what else have I been playing? What else have we been playing? Pretty much us together. We've been playing some Oh My Brain. This is a silly little zombie themed card shedding game from 25th Century Games. The theme doesn't really have a whole lot to do with the mechanics, but I it love has nothing. To do I with love the <laughs> there are zombie animals on all of the cards. Basically, like you went out camping and then all of a sudden you realize that all of the animals in the forest are zombies. Everything from the mosquitoes up to like bears and rhinoceroses and everything in between is all trying to come get your brains. <laughs> it's a pretty simple, straightforward, just, you know, play cards into the middle that are higher than the cards before them, kind of almost scout like kind of a thing. You know, if you can't play cards, you have to discard brain tokens, you know, basic stuff like that. It's a very simple game. You could play this down to eight or maybe a little bit younger if you have a uh, you know, a gamer a kid, precocious gamer, a precocious kid. kid. Yeah, precocious is a good for word for that one. Just a silly little fun game. Uh, I think that is going to be the snap review in the middle of this episode. Ah, so that's you'll the hear plan. us talk about yeah. it, I think. But yeah, so that's pretty much it. I've got one more game on my list, but I need to I'll let you talk about that. Uh, well, so we did our little breakfast date this week, which These was nice. the bomb. I highly recommend breakfast dates with board games. Well, mm. breakfast date with your partner and bring a board game. I yeah, should yes, clarify. Yes. <laughs> Although if you, are, if you are single, you can totally have a breakfast date with a board game. I mean, that's whatever. Uh, <laughs> but uh, this time I just wanted to grab something that I didn't have to think too hard about how to play or how much room it was going to take up on the restaurant table. So I grabbed Rolled West, which mm. I think we enjoy every time we play it. It always feels a little bit too short because it's one of those games. It's six rounds. And you can't really commit to a strategy until like round three. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm really interested to see what's going to happen with all the stuff that Tasty Minstrel had because they are, of course, no longer doing their thing. Because I think they had a real, lot of really good games that were kind of under their licensure purview, whatever the appropriate term is. And I hope that some of those catch on with other publishers. I also follow uh, Daniel Newman, who's the designer sure. of this yeah, one yeah, yeah. on Twitter. <laughs> and I'm starting to wonder if this is the only game he ever did that doesn't feature skulls prominently. <laughs> like there are skulls in all of his games, but not in this one. But not in this one. All right. You know, it, it, kind of what we were talking about a minute ago, I, I think is, um, I think having a, a set of games that are brainless you know, that you can always re refer to. I, I know for me, uh, you guys can see behind me, there's hundreds of board games piled on the wall and stuff. And so we always have new games to learn, new games to teach. But I've, I've definitely noticed with the kids when I'm like, hey, I've set this game up. Let's play it. And one of the first questions I get is, is it a new game? Mm -hmm. like, do, I have to, do I have to sit through a teach? 
Right. And so I, I try to be mindful of that because that while that's probably fine for us folks that like in our in an adult gaming group, you know, I've even asked, I've made, I make a joke all the time when we play a game that I really like in our gaming group. I'm like, well, man, this was awesome. I'd love to play it again next year, you know, because yeah, like yeah, we're not yeah. going to play it again. We've got to get through the shelf of shame or opportunity, whichever way you Whatever. want to say yeah. that. And, and or if you've got, if you got, you know, you make content, you know, you feel the pressure of like, I need to play more games so I can talk about them because people want to know about them and that sort of thing. And so I, I try to really delineate that away from my family, right? Like, so the family, like, it's fine to have 10 games that you play forever a lot. Maybe don't constantly make your family play new games. Maybe you keep that for your gaming group or whatever. If, if yep. you can section those off, maybe your gaming group is your family. Maybe you only play 10 games. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're all Druid City games. And I think you should do that. Every day. <laughs> but yeah, it's something that, you know, I, I, I think it was about a year ago during the pandemic when I was making them play a lot of games because we had obviously more, more or two mm-hmm. years ago. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 That. And uh, now I'm just leaned into it. You know, like I was started off with patchwork, like, I don't know. I bet I know Patchwork is my most ge- played game of all time. Period. Just because me and Stella and me and Parker, we just play the heck out of it, and I really like, especially for the kids, to have that one on one time if you have multiples. Mm-hmm. And so, like finding those two player games that are you're brainless and mindless, and you can just kind of sit down and play and still have a conversation uh, with the yeah. kids yes, is absolutely is really yeah. great. Yeah, so. no, I totally agree with that. We are very blessed that one of our kiddos loves learning new games. Yeah, so someday maybe uh, they'll also be good at teaching new games. There you I, go. I think he's pretty good for a twelve-year-old. He's, he's teaching. He's he's pretty good, and so our our review games are on their own shelf, right? So he yep. will scan that shelf and be like, "Hmm, what here looks interesting out, that I know, can start if, learning if I know, how to play?" Yeah, if I know mom and dad are going to make me play something. Maybe I can pick something off the shelf and we're not really going to make him, but we will ask. Right. But it's totally true, you know, with our other kids. And of course, you know, we'll try to get everyone around the table, but these two hate one game and the other one loves that game. And so you're you're always playing that whole thing, too. So, yeah, we definitely have a selection of games that are liked by four out of five. That's kind of the description. They're generally (laughs) liked by four out of five and and it, it circles uh, sometimes we'll do, you know, okay, it is Asher's birthday. He gets to play whatever he wants and you you two have to suck it up and we're all going to play together. You know, so there's, right. there's those special occasions, yeah. things like that. If you want to stay up, you're going to have to play a new game with us, you know, or whatever it might be. But I totally agree with you having the stable. I mean, can you think about when we were kids? Like it was when we were kids was really before hobby board games were like huge, right? I mean, right. It, unless you're going to talk about elite battle squadron, whatever, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but like Catan didn't exist. Anything that has come out since Catan did not exist. And every family had like, sorry, trouble, monopoly, whatever. And it's fine. And we just played the crap out of those games because those were the games that we had. And James, I know you've talked about this. I've watched videos where you've talked about this. The important thing that's going on during the board game is not what's on the table. It's what's happening above the table. And the more rote you can get about the fact that you're playing a game, not that a game needs to be a rote experience, but but the less time you have to spend in the rule book and the more time you can spend having that social time is, is way more valuable. So I'm a hundred, you know, anytime I'm playing a game with the family and somebody asks a question or they try to make a move that can I do this or whatever. And I go, mm, I'm not sure. Let me check the rule book. I just see the energy leave their face. Right. Cause they know yeah. I'm going to, everything's stopping for five, 10 minutes while dad flips through this manual and tries to find the thing. Mm-hmm. And so for the kids, I almost just, I've now, 
I just make a snap decision and then I just check it later and then mm-hmm. make an adjustment in the future gameplays if I if we did it wrong. Yeah. Just because I don't want that that magic to stop because they're engaged. They're in they're in it and that just pulls yeah. them right out. That is totally what our struggle has been with plat hat stuff. Like I love everything about what they're doing, but there's so many rules and it's so hard to get it down and getting those games back to the table with enough frequency that you don't have to keep going back to the rule book was just a real struggle. for It us. was just too hard for us. Yeah. Yeah. There is some definite magic in publishers who are able to make games that the rule book becomes uh, intuitive, right? Yeah. Like actually yesterday was a great example of that night of the ninja game. I didn't teach it. I've only played it once at Shu and Christina's and they taught it. And then, so like, we're in this weird thing, like they were streaming all day and they're like, Hey, we got a gap and there was a game table. And I was like, I had actually picked it up and was just looking at the back of it. And Becca's like, can you teach that? And I'm like, probably I've played it before. <laughs> yeah. She's yeah. like, cool. We're going on in 10 minutes. And I'm like, I'm going to need that 10 minutes to go reread this rule book real quick. <laughs> but like, even as I scanned the rule book, it was four pages. It was a four page rule book. And then I was like, Oh, yep. Yep. I remember, yep. Oh, that's the order of things. Yep. That's the setup. Cool. Yep. Ending is that boom. I got it. I remember it. Like, Sure. And that's sure. There's not many games, or well, there are games that fit that category, but there's a lot of games that don't. And the ones that don't, I've made games that don't fit that category, right? Like, you probably need to go reread Title Blades if you haven't played it in a year to remember all the minutia that's happening on the board and the you know how it plays out. So, I get it. But that's also like we made Title Blades Banner Festival to kind of fall into that other category of like, okay, once I've played this once, like this is just a trick taking game that has some area control uh, and action selection. So that's not hard to remember. And once you've grokked it once, you're good. Right. Totally. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. Trying to try to make that nice mix there, you know? Yep. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a good reminder that the uh, process of making a board game is not just a science, you know, baking recipe. Like there's a definite art to it and uh, trying to figure mm-hmm. out how to slide right into that middle zone where people can just naturally figure it out is, is really hard. So it's funny you, you mentioned that specifically because this actually, I just had a conversation with a designer who, uh, Emily Vincent, she's a new designer who has a really cool prototype that we're checking out called Knitting Circle. And so it kind of got on my radar from Elizabeth Hargrave. She retweeted it from a proto spiel where they were, you know, this is where designers will come together with the prototypes and sit down and mm-hmm. play a bunch of stuff and, and give I each other. I think that's where I saw the picture from was her Twitter feed or something like that. Yeah. 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 So she sent me a copy. We played it and I had feedback for, you know, and, and, and my feedback just generally, and I hope she doesn't mind me sharing. If nothing else, I'm, I'm helping hopefully make more awareness of her game that yeah. she's going to be making because it's going to be a made game. It's, it's really good. I can speak um, with, a, I like, with a degree of confidence that there are knitters who listen to this show. So <laughs> well, even if there's not, I mean, you know, it, it, the theme doesn't always, I mean, if the mechanics right. good, but whatever. Sure. Yes. I told her, I was like, your game is very good. I was like, but here's some areas that I'd like to see you work on to like build up decision spaces and, and give players more agency and things like that without getting into the particulars, because while the game is very good and has a lot of potential, I really am only hoping to make great games. And honestly, with four to 5,000 games coming out a year, if your games aren't hitting the mark of great, then they will be forgotten within months of release. Like they'll, they'll come out, people will talk about it for five minutes and then it moves on. And so the only way to, you, you really do have to shoot for greatness. And so I really am trying to push anybody I'm making a game with like, Hey, it's good. And congratulations. You've got a cool thing that you've made. How do we make it great? How do we get it to that next Sure. Level people are like I want to add this to my collection, and then it, it, it's this is not never a game that'll come out of my collection. It'll always be in my collection. It's never going to make the call pile, and so that's obviously a very subjective mark, but also um, 
a very difficult thing to even put into words because you know when she's like what is your feedback you know it's i'm in the i'm in the the abyss you know i'm like well uh and it just needs more decision space in this part of the game yeah, yeah. like what and like i don't know i'm not a good designer i'm just telling you what it needs <laughs> it's the secrets that's why they call it the secret sauce right who knows what's in it just it's a well, and, and that's what sometimes you just get lucky too right yeah. like the first thing that comes out of you is is just really good and you just checks all the boxes right and then sometimes you got to toil over it for for years so yeah. it's like it's funny when people are like I, I see a lot of new t- uh, new game creators will say things like we've been working on this for four years. Well, this isn't a union job, right? Like it's not about a seniority mm-hmm. thing, yeah. right? So like I'm glad you've put a lot of effort into it. We're not taking that away from you, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's good or, or great or it, it gets any sort of credibility. Yeah, because Eric Lang might work on a game for five minutes and have a better idea, and it's done. You know. Whereas you might have worked on it for four years. I feel the same way in opposite when I see a Kickstarter that says that it's funded in 30 seconds or something. I'm like, I, that just means you had a really good ad campaign. Like, I mean, maybe it's a testament to the gameplay, but like. That, but we're cynical now. Well, I, I just if that's the, the subtitle to the game in the marketing, that doesn't do it for me. I've always thought that was a very irrelevant Fact totally. Yeah, that. exactly. A hundred percent agree with you. And and I've never really focused. I mean, I think we've had some campaigns years and years ago where, when that was the trend, you just said, "Okay, cool." It's kind of like the ribbon that you put on the yeah. right on it. Right. But um, I haven't done that in several campaigns, and I just, I don't care. At the end of the day, I also you know certain brands like Druid City has a bucket of followers, and you know within reason if you don't do anything really weird or crazy like you're gonna fund pretty quickly because you've earned the trust of a a bucket of people who are like i I like what you make and i'm gonna probably check out and be willing to follow you down this path again well that's exactly Uh, what you said about peter vaughn right it's like i know i'm getting something good so i'm gonna go ahead and support it absolutely absolutely i'm I'm kind of that way with awaken realms you know and their games are big and expensive but i've always really enjoyed them and i'm i'm kind of one of those people i'm like even if it falls out of my interests uh, if I've played it seven or eight or ten times, and then I sell it and I get some of my money back, then you, you know, rented the game for a while and yeah, enjoyed exactly. it. Yeah, right. Did I get thirty or forty hours of enjoyment out of that box of plastic and bits, and then I recovered seventy five percent of my money? That, that's a good deal, right? right? Yeah. Like I'll take that deal. Yeah. So you know, there's also people when they get in here, and maybe again, I'm a publisher, so I'm you know, <laughs> salt. But when people get in here and start picking apart five dollars on this and ten dollars on this, I'm like. How many times are you going to play this? How many hours of enjoyment and how many people are going to get to come to this table? Do we get that in the other forms of entertainment that we spend money on? Sure. I think board games are a very good value when you look at them that way. And I'm not, again, not really trying to spend. I think that's logical. I think that's a rational approach to look at it. Especially when it costs like 50 bucks for me and an nature to go to a movie. Like, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You know, I think 10 years ago, we used to use the movie analogy uh, a lot to compare to board games. I think it's tough to do that now just because movies have become so expensive. It just skews the analogy so far. I think you almost have to be like your Disney Plus monthly s- subscription is 15 bucks, right? And sure. four people but- watch it. So that's, you know, on a monthly value, that's a $60 value because four people are like, I don't know. <laughs> one of the correlations we still make is escape room because especially people will complain about the one-time use escape room games. Be like, okay, if you and your friend or your partner were going to go to an escape room in person, how much would that cost you? 
I mean, maybe mm-hmm. a cheap one would cost two people, you know, 50 bucks. Or you can spend $15 on this yeah. one that you'll do at home and yeah. get as many hours of enjoyment out of it, if not slightly more. I gotta be honest, like we have some friends who get those and then like, I don't know, they photocopy all the parts or something like that. I'm like, it is not worth my time. It is not worth the work involved. $15, $12 on sale. Just buy the box and throw it in the trash. You know what? It's less than a nice dinner. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know about y'all, but like, I feel like with a family of four here. If we walk outside, we're spending a hundred dollars. Yes, right. Well, so, also, like, also, you live in California, yeah. Where yeah, just everything is I more mean, expensive. It, you know, it's more expensive there. But we're in Massachusetts. It's not exactly cheapville, right? You go to Target, and eighty-five dollars falls out of your pocket. It's just how it, it does. is. It does. Well, I mean, you think about like, okay, we're going to leave home to do something, right? Unless you pack a picnic. You're probably going to eat something along the way. You're probably, the kids are going to want to go do something or be somewhere and you're going to spend a few more dollars. So it's pretty easy to drop, let's just say 40 to $50, pretty easy for a fam- for an average yeah. family for, right? If yeah. you oh, yeah. go out to do anything, if you play a board game more than once, that's already a better value than almost anything you do when you go outside. <laughs> I know. <laughs> So what I'm saying is buy a lot of board games, people. Buy a lot of them. Stay home and play board games. They have a value better than your car. You spend a lot of money on your car. I don't hear you complain about that. What if you play board games in your car? I've done that. I I think that that. helps the value of the car. So I think my argument is still solid, but uh, (laughs) sure. (laughs) I mean, I would be more likely to buy a car that was filled to the brim with board games than a car that wasn't filled to the brim with board games. You would also spend more money on it. Uh, details. It'd be kind of like a storage, like storage wars or whatever, where you're like you can only look into the window and you can't see what other games are like really in there. You're like, there might be some really good ones in there. You could guess how many board games are in the car. You get to, you know, whoever gets closest wins or something. A hundred copies of Candyland. Oh man. You know, I was actually just talking about like we're we're getting ready to downsize and we're gonna go down to one car because you know the economy sucks and yeah. things yeah. are expensive. Yeah. Maybe that's a great way for me to sell my Jeep. I'll just pack it because I need to sell some games too. So I'll just pack it full of games and be like, you get the games too. That's part of the deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, free delivery, just buy a Jeep. Like, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it takes. All right. Well, why don't we do this? Why don't we uh, take a quick break and then we'll come back and um, we're going to talk about what's up with James. I mean, other than going down to one car, what's going on with Druid City? All the things. We'll be right back. What's the difference between a bodybuilder and a zombie? What? One of them says, no pain, no gain. And the other one says, no brain, no pain. Ha ha. You don't like my joke? You have no sense of humor? I like jokes that are actually funny. <laughs> well, I might not be funny, but this game is. This is a snap review for Oh My Brain, a zombie-themed hand discard game by Bruno Cathala and Theo Riviere, published by 25th Century Games. So let's talk about the art in Oh My Brain. This is definitely not the color scheme I expect from a zombie game. Totally right. 
it definitely does not look like a zombie game. The art was done by Olivier Derueto, and it makes me think of some really silly, like, alternate animation styles that you might see in the in-between scenes in a Pixar movie, kind of Tim Burton-ish, I guess? A little bit. The art is limited to the 50 cards, but it is full-size art, and it's different on each of the 20 numbers. Regular cards are blue, but special cards are pink. The color difference is really a good reminder, but we did always end up referring back to the rulebook to figure out what the icons on the cards meant, but thankfully there weren't that many of them. So we've got pink cards and blue cards and a pink die. How do you actually play this game, and what's with all the brain tokens? (laughs) So every player starts with nine brains, and the goal of the game is to be the last person at the table with any brains left. Everyone starts with one of these card holders and takes three cards. You'll keep one and put two in your cemetery, which is just another name for the card holder. This lets you see all of your cards while keeping them secret from the other players. Do this one card, two card, two more times, and you'll have six cards in your cemetery and three cards in your hand. On your turn, you'll play a card into the middle. Whatever it is, it needs to be higher than the last card that was played. If you don't have a single card that's higher you can put identical cards down to double or triple their value. If you do that, one stays down on the pile, and you distribute the other cards to other players' cemeteries. Once you've played, draw cards from your cemetery to refill your hand back up to three cards. Remember, all the special cards do different things. There's a really handy cheat sheet on the back of the rules, though. Some cards will allow you to roll the marshmallow die, which has a range of different effects on it. You can find those on the sheet, too. If you can't or don't want to play a card from your hand, you must discard one of your precious brain tokens. Then clear the center pile, draw two cards from the deck. Keep one, put one in your cemetery, and then play a card from your hand. The first player to run out of cards wins the round. Everyone else discards brain tokens equal to the number of cards they have left in their hand, plus the number of cards they have Uh. left in their cemetery. You keep playing until only one player has brains left. Brains. So, Anitra, what did we expect from Oh My Brain? Well, from the beginning, we expected something silly. The cover alone is a pretty good indication that this isn't your typical zombie game. It's got zombie animals all over it. (laughs) I think we suspected there would be some kind of sequencing or trick-taking or something, because it's just a deck of cards, some tokens, and a die. Most games don't include card holders anymore, I mean, if they ever did, so it was interesting to see them in the box, and it kind of made us wonder what was going on in this game. Oh, the box. This was a surprise. Now, I know it sounds really dumb, but I love this box. First of all, it's small. You can fit this game in, like, a large purse. It can't fit into a pocket, but you can toss it into a backpack or something like that. Second of all, it's got this, like, smooth finish on it, which I really like. There's also some glow-in-the-dark ink on the box, which you can't see unless it's dark out and there's no light. So fancy. It's so fancy. (laughs) But seriously, the packaging for this game is perfect. It's not too big. It's not too small. It's got some cute features that will make it stick in your mind, which is why I guess I'm bringing it up. Box stays closed, too. That's always nice. (laughs) I was surprised at how fast the game moves. You might have three choices on your turn, but you probably have less. It never feels good to have to discard brains and draw cards. But the cemetery acts as a buffer that keeps players from having a handful of cards, and that keeps the game moving and really limits your analysis paralysis. Gamebox says 15 minutes, and once everybody knows what they're doing, that's definitely about right. 
The theme really doesn't do anything to this game at all. These could easily be abstract cards with numbers and symbols and generic tokens on them, but the art does make you smile. I mean, look at these cute little rat guys. They're adorable. Cute bats. So, Anitra, do we recommend Oh My Brain? Oh My Brain is great if you're a family of five on the younger end looking for a smallish game that you can maybe keep in the car and take out at a restaurant or if you're stuck somewhere waiting for something for 20 minutes. It doesn't reinvent the wheel, but it does a good job as an incredibly simple game with a little bit of luck mixed in. Kids as young as eight or maybe a little younger will enjoy the silly art and the chance to take mom and dad's brains. It's kind of creepy source material, but the way it's presented here, it's not creepy at all. So I think we're going to rate, oh, my brain, three brains. What else? Out of five. And that's Oh My Brain in a Snap. And we're back. So, yeah, I don't think we actually know what's been going on with Druid City. Hopefully you do, James. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully somebody on this call knows what's up. Hey, we'll, we'll figure this out together, right? right. That's, that's, that's actually when you guys invited me, I was like, you know, it's a, that's a good, we should figure out a business plan for Druid City and figure this out together. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I mean, we're game, whatever. We've been around for a while. We could start, try to figure something out. So what's up? You know, right now, I, I am in the, the throes, the the deep end of the pool of just getting the Wonderlands War expansion and the Tidal Blades 2 project, both of them, into production. So, like, they're, it's, obviously, they both had very different timelines as far as they were launched, but because of the different project kind of makeup, they've kind of finished around the same time and need to go into production around the same time. So um, that's not great project management uh, on my part, uh, but it is just me, right? So I don't have a team or anything. I mean, obviously I have my freelance partners, uh, but it's just me kind of spinning all the plates. So, you know, I've got people yelling, well, well, when's Bloodstone? Bloodstone, we want Bloodstone. When's Bloodstone coming out? And I'm like, listen, I can only do so much. And I am a perfectionist. So that slows me down and keeps me from moving forward or wanting to move forward, like on another project right now, because uh, I just don't want to, I don't want to spin up something else. And then, you know, there's only so many hours a day, only so much bandwidth that I can, I can put out. So right now that's the main objective. Those are both very close to being having all the boxes checked. Mortal Lens War is actually a little bit ahead of it because it was a, it was a little bit easier of a project to get back because it's mostly a reprint or mostly just reprinting things. There's some things being updated, uh, like a couple of player boards. The Jabberwock and the Mad Hatter got a little bit of a rebalance to bring them a bit more in line uh, with the win rates of the other characters. But then we, the expansion was a small box expansion on purpose. You know, it was it was on purpose to make it an easy thing to turn around and get everybody the main game that wanted the main game. All those files are turned in, and we're waiting on the pre-production copies to come in, and then I'll be shooting pictures of that and sharing that with the world, and all that goodness. Can people still late pledge for that? I feel like I saw that recently. Is that true? For two more weeks. I don't know when this is airing, but okay. April 28th is when we're closing. And, and then I'll still have some to sell on the web store afterwards. But the quickest and easiest way to get it would be to still get in on the late pledge if you still can. Okay, perfect. Uh, and then for Tidal Blades 2, I'm just going to take a minute to brag about this project. I really think this is the best game we've ever made. And that's with, you know, even Wonderlands War being, it just cracked the top 250. On BGG, it's actually 240 this morning. Nice, congratulations! Thanks. Yeah, that feels good as a fellow board gaming nerd to have something we made crack the top 250 of all games ever. 
I feel like you can't yeah. see me. I'm packing. So, like, it feels good, right? Like yeah, it's like okay, sure, we, did, we did we did the thing. But Tidal Blitz Two, and obviously it's obviously a very different game, and people are going to be very. It's very. This is a very subjective conversation. But I think we've done, and hear me when I say this: I we are one hundred percent standing on the shoulders of Gloomhaven, Frosthaven, Jaws of the Lion. Mm. Uh, previous campaign games that have come before us, dungeon crawls, that sort of thing. So like we owe a lot to everybody who's laid it down before us, but I think we've done something very interesting and very unique. And so I think people are going to get it and they're going to go, this feels like a very strategic Euro engine building card game that plays itself out narratively in a dungeon crawl on the board. And I don't know how familiar you guys are with the mechanic, but it's very, it's, it's pretty simple. You got a three by three grid and you lay cards into the grid and that activate, you activate rows and columns. And so the really, the really fun part of it is you've got an ebb and flow, right? Like if you put down one card and you activate a row and it only has one card in it, there's some like basic stuff that you get when there's no cards there, but the card has all the cool stuff on it. Well, then when you put a second card in that row, now you got two cards. You get to combine all that stuff in that row or column. And then when you put the third card in there, it's like an ultimate turn. It's like, you know, you've charged up your abilities and you, this is where you're really just unleashing a lot of cool stuff and you get to do this really awesome turn. But after you've done that full row or that full column, those cards wipe off the grid. So what you're really managing this grid, trying to be like timing when that really awesome turn happens and mm-hmm. what cards can I combine to get the most efficient thing happening. That's just the base layer. But then the overall part of it is like it's deck building, right? So you're up, you're, you know, in between sessions, you're spending your XP to upgrade cards and buy new cards and unlock new abilities on your player board that then combine with your card play. And we have done extensive play testing with play testing groups. Uh, and they've run all the way through the campaign, like the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And we haven't had people upset. Right. Like it's just been like I'm trying to temper my expectations a little bit, but it's like people are loving it. Right. So then you combine really awesome gameplay with narrative art and world building that is in a class of its own when you look at it from a board game perspective. They're ridiculous. They're incredible. The contents are incredible. The worlds they make are incredible and their art is incredible. Yep. But then the story, like what you're reading. I teared up several times during the story. I mean, obviously I'm in love with these characters because I'm very close to me. You're a big softy. Come on. (laughs) And I'm also a big softy (laughs) because there's absolutely nothing wrong with crying. It is a human emotion. My, my boy is out there. Go to therapy. It's good for you. Um, You look at the, you look at these narratives that are having this, like this should be a Netflix series. Like this should be season, a season. I should, this should be a 10 episode thing that I'm watching. You know, I think a lot of other creators try, right? But it's just a combination of having a lot of talent on the team, right? Because writing is a very specific skill. Art, a very specific skill. World building, very specific skill. And I've gotten lucky to like transformer this, you know, all the different pieces and all the different people together. And I've assembled a really good team. I think we crushed it. I mean, just bragging, I don't care. Like, I think we absolutely crushed it. And I think people are going to go through this campaign and they're going to be blown away in both of those categories I just talked about. The the narrative, world-building, art, that part of the experience coupled with the gameplay mechanics and just how rewarding that feels. So, Yeah, I think PAX Unplugged 
2021, maybe? Sure. Matt sure. Uh, ran us through a demo of the prototype of just the first scenario with like all the tentacles. And you yeah. So we got to play through that. Um, I, I really like that tic-tac-toe board mechanic stuff. It, I, the ebb and flow that you were talking about is 100% how it feels. We are like, okay, this is going to be awesome real soon. Yeah. And you play the first scenario is the most boring, right? Boring. Like you're just learning. It's like a tutorial. It's, you know, it's the, it's in the video game. That's what you, if you're like me, you're just skipping like, I'll figure it out as I go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, it's it's the most boring because you're just playing with the base cards and there's, you know, you're just learning how things go. And honestly, the game's probably had a lot of refinement even since uh, since you played that, right? I bet it's been because a little bit. That's when, you know, one of the things we didn't do early on was we didn't take this time with playtesters to get that feedback. And uh, it's game changing. It's game changing. It's made our rule books a lot better because we, we do a lot of the playtesting now where we just hand them the rules and they have to read and grok themselves. And then we see where the, the, you know, the rough parts are of where people aren't getting what we we're hoping and stuff right. like that. Because I, I think we've all picked up a, a, a real book that hadn't had a lot of play testing or a lot of proofing done to it. And it's pretty frustrating, right? When you can't. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why Rodney has a job. <laughs> Rodney has a job. Uh, so anyway, I'm hoping that, you know, we get that to people by the fall or winter of this year. That's the plan. Um, and, you know, the way things are looking, that should be fine. I hope so. Then from there, you know, I've got Bloodstone. I really want to get that back onto the crowdfunding and it, maybe I'll be able to do that later this year. Again, I want to get these two things games on a boat. Yeah. Like, Hey, as it's on its way to you before I get into another thing, right? Okay. I feel like that's the responsible thing to do, it, you know, with the way the economy and things are with all like, you know, financial anxiety, I definitely feel the anxiety of like, I should go ahead and launch and try to get things out there and get money coming in and all that kind of stuff. But I feel like I, I really, I owe it to the backers to get them their games, at least on their way to them before we launch more things. Um, and then from there, you know, we've got, we've got a really big Wonderlands War expansion that we're working on. That's in the concepting phase, essentially. Cool. And that's going to just give everybody a bunch of more factions to play. We've got some cool ideas that are, that are kind of getting fleshed out on how to make the, uh, the player boards asymmetric, not just the abilities, but like where you're doing your crafting on the bottom side of the board having some ways that those become asymmetric. There's a lot of stuff that's in the air, but the big thing being, Hey, now you got way more than five factions that you can play. Um, and you get to play some of your favorite characters as your faction. And then, you know, depending on how people like title blades too, we've, we've got more content for that. So I think if, once we see if like everybody thinks the same thing we do, we've got essentially a story that we want to tell through the game. And it, the story has an ending, right? It's kind of like avatar, the last airbender or whatever, right? Like it's a three season arc and we would love to be able to tell all three seasons of that story. Uh, so we hope that everybody else feels the same way because I've got people ask me, well, like, Hey, was, um, is Sorcerer city going to get an expansion? And you're like, we, we've got one designed, but unfortunately the base game didn't sell well enough right. for us to justify an expansion. And they're like, Oh, you should do it anyway. I'm like, I, I wish I could, <laughs> you know, I wish I could, but financially I've heard, an, I've heard this number. I don't think this is scientific. I don't have any like hard data, but through other uh, publishers that I've asked, when you launch an expansion, how many people that own the base get it? And the number that keeps coming up is 40%. And so like you get cool. If I sold 10,000 copies, then I can sell 4,000 copies of an expansion, or that's kind of a number that I should expect, you know, depending on whatever your base number is. That can tell you if you should or shouldn't, I think, a, a good bit. And unfortunately, in this case, I, I just don't think Sorcerer City, as much as it's personally one of my favorite games that I've made, I think Scott did a really cool job of 
making something that you know there's not another game like it mm-hmm. you know how many deck building tile laying i always, i feel so rushed like so uncomfortably rushed playing that game i'm like <laughs> oh, oh, oh i gotta get the card done i gotta get you know and then i'll finish and i'm like the timer's not even half done what what is happening here <laughs> you know what a lot of people do on the timer you know i added a setting where you can have an extra 60 seconds right so that that's essentially easy mode but again the idea the whole point of the timer there is not really to rush people because it's not a speed game it's not like um fuse or anything where you're frantically trying to throw things out its purpose was to kind of just put guardrails around it so the ap folks can't sit there and grok math on every single tile uh-huh. that they draw right and look at the 38 different possibilities of where they could lay it and i know some people like doing that and if your game is at home and you don't want to use a timer live your best life don't time your game <laughs> I, i'm not telling you how to live your life but your that game of that should be forty five minutes is now going to be two and a half hours, and I don't think that meets the expectation that that yeah, type of game yeah. should be. Uh, but yeah, it was always there. It wasn't there to make you feel frantic. It was just there to like keep the game moving along, right? Yeah, I just need to dial in my own personal pace to know <laughs> that I can actually breathe when I'm playing the game, right? <laughs> Absolutely, pretty much, yeah. Well, and you're not wrong. The, like the monsters, that, that's where it throws you for a loop, right? Because you've built out your deck, you're familiar with what the things you put in there. Uh, it's just when those monsters pop up and then especially toward the end, if you've got three or four different types of monsters in there and you're like, what does this monster do? Oh, yeah. Man. Oh, dang. All right. He's going to, he just blew up this stuff. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, that's, yeah. That's pretty much it for me. Like, yeah. You know, on the other end, I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, everything on the business side with the way the economy is and things like that. You're just, I think we've seen it in the industry. There's been some people that's went out of business, right? There's been some mergers. I think this is a very risky time. Fragile. Right it's now. a fragile time. It's a fragile. It's fragile. fragile. <laughs> it's mainly because I think we're seeing the after effects of the pandemic, right? Like people were able to dodge, move, realign things for a couple of years. But all of that eventually comes, the, the rooster comes to the nest or whatever that, that saying yeah. is. And and I think we're seeing a lot of those financial decisions from a few years ago or, or things that you couldn't control. One Lens World was a great example of like, we had to ship 11 or 13 ocean freighters worth of stuff at the height of when the ocean freighters were the most expensive. That just damages a project profit and loss statement, right? Sure. Yeah. Uh, and I think you can steal from one project to pay for another for a while. But at the end of the day, like when you've lost money, you've lost money. And I think we see it. So anyway, I'm trying to make good, sound decisions that keep food on the table because this has got to pay the bills. And then also, I, I just want to make sure that I can always deliver the things that I say that I'm going to deliver to the backers and to the supporters. And so, I, you know, I just think that's a it's a tough time to try to make it all work. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. I think we're seeing like the video game space. Like this is the year that a lot of stuff that was really impacted just yeah. in terms of pipeline. Those games that should have been coming out for those last two years are all like this this year. Like if you're into video games, this year is ridiculous. I don't know how all this stuff's going to come out and I'm going to survive and actually play any of it. Like, I don't know how it's going to happen. But you're think- you're going to be picking up one game at a time until yeah, like, probably Which is fine if there's a good one, then you get it like, like two years after it's come out. It's like 20 bucks. Oh, at that I'm point. getting no, Zelda no, no. on release day. That's not a conversation. That's not. A- no, it's, it's the rest of the good games <laughs> the that, that will yeah. do but in a like, drip. Zelda is a yeah. gimme. But even if a board game takes about the same amount of time to develop as a video game, and I mean, I'm, grossly mm-hmm. hand waving lots of hand waving yeah the manufacturing process takes a lot longer for physical goods 
And so I would expect that we're not really seeing pipeline recovery for board games until probably like next year, like the beginning of next year, when things are like, everything's normal again, whatever normal is, the new normal. Not only is capacity back to where maybe it should be, but also we finally caught up on all this other stuff. I mean, and and that's just saying like, if the patterns that we've seen in other industry verticals that most closely align with board gaming, like it's either toys or video games. Those are the two things that you can look at. I wouldn't expect normal until next year, even like everybody's like, oh, we're out of the pandemic. I mean, not from a supply chain perspective, right? I mean, you know, I told you I was at the stream yesterday talking to industry friends. There was a publisher there I was talking to. I'll leave them nameless. But they were like, we had a game. We just like it was at the printer during COVID and we pulled it and we're just not going to make it now. Like it's a game that was done, ready to hit the print button. Everything goes haywire, and they're like, it just doesn't make sense to make that game now. Yeah. So we just gave it back. And you're like, you know, there's thousands of hours that's went in to get that project to that point, and now to be like, we're just not going to do it at all? That hurts a lot. It's like the Batgirl movie. Yeah. Same thing. I mean, we just it's just, it's crazy to see the, the the fallout, right, of that and, and how it's affected our industry. And, and, you know, I think there's still more to come from that because I think some people have been able to – you know, maybe they had some early success that they were able to ride through that. And but still, at the end of the day, like losses add up. And you know, I'm I'm definitely afraid of that now. Like I think before the pandemic, I, my hubris was at like a untouchable level. You know, I was like, I, uh, I can do anything I want. Mom and dad told me I could be anybody I wanted to be. <laughs> and now it's more like I'm like the little like I'm like peeking my head out from around the door. Like, is it safe to come out here now? <laughs> All right. Well. We mentioned Wonderland's War. People can still late pledge for Wonderland's War. Where can they go to do that? What's the best place? So if you go look up, uh, if you go just go to the, the Kickstarter page, there's always a late pledge button at the top, right? Mm-hmm. So you can click that. It'll funnel you through. And that's on Tidal Blades 2 and Wonderland's War. But Wonderland's War only has a couple weeks left. Tidal Blades 2 probably has another six to eight weeks, maybe. Sure. Maybe less. Depends. Probably about six weeks for that one. And then it's going to be closed down and ready to go. But always they can come to druidcitygames.com. And as, as I get stock, I will always be selling my games uh, on the web store. So you can always grab them there in the future. Sweet. And uh, where should people go if they want updates on, I don't know, Bloodstone or whatever? So the easiest thing, I think, if you want to like 100% make sure, there's two really surefire ways to, to know. One, you can sign up for the newsletter on the druidcitygames.com website. I don't even do that monthly. So you're probably going to get like four to six emails a year from me. I'm not trying to spam your inbox. And then I've got a Discord. And, you know, obviously I've got all the social media things. But what I found is Discord is much easier and things don't get lost, right? I might say something oh, on sure. Facebook, but Facebook just doesn't show you, even though you follow me or you sure, follow Drew sure. City Games. Right, right, right. Whereas Discord, you can always go search Discord. You can always, you know, and I think it's easier for me to communicate and it be seen. So... Uh, there is a there's a Druid City Games Discord. All right. Well, Anisha, we don't have a Discord, <laughs> and uh, we don't really plan on making one either. Uh, yeah, sorry, it's sorry. another thing to manage, right? Exactly. It's another thing to manage. Exactly. But again, just maybe to edge you in a direction, right? Like all these social media platforms, like if a billionaire comes in and buys it and changes all the rules, you and, know, hypothetically, uh, <laughs> hypothetically, you know, all that following that you built up over years can just be burned to the ground in an instant. So mm-hmm. I feel like discord uh, at least lets you control your message quite yeah. a bit more. Mm-hmm. 
Well, we're going to say that the, uh, the where do we where do we put our message out now? Yeah, well, so the best <laughs> Maybe way not tomorrow, but where today? <laughs> the best way to directly get in contact with us is email. So, sure. Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. Andrew at thefamilygamers.com. James at druidcity.com. <laughs> James at druidcity.com. There All you right. go. But The Family Gamers is on a bunch of different social media. Our favorite place is our Facebook community. Yep, that's um, the most active place for sure. If you want to get into good conversations about family gaming um, and sometimes about weird food weird and food bad and smells. Weird food and bad smells. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Everything a parent should be doing. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Uh, that's a good place for it. And sometimes grandparents too. But you can also find us just straight up on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok uh, at Family Gamers AA. And we've got our YouTube videos that I keep trying to make better. And each is doing a great job with those. You can actually find those on YouTube at Family Gamers AA or just search for the Family Gamers. You can find those. Pretty good stuff. Don't forget to check out our Family Gamers and Play Games with Your Kids merchandise. I'm wearing some literally right now. Me too. <laughs> T-shirts and hoodies and stuff like that at thefamilygamers.com. Me too. They can't see me. They don't know if I'm going to tell or not. <laughs> yeah, totally. James would wear a shirt if I sent him one. That's 100%. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm going to say. You can head over to thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch for that. If you like this show, and especially if you like hearing James every, you know, 100 every episodes 100 or so, episodes. <laughs> uh, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you can catch him again, you know, for episode 439. All right. You can do uh, that <laughs> on Apple Podcasts or whatever your podcast subscription source is, or you can talk to your smart speaker and uh, ask it to play the Family Gamers podcast. The Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers and learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up those victory points. And in this troubled economy, we desperately need to pile up the victory points. All the victory points we can get. <laughs> All right. Well, James, thanks so much for coming on for another one. This is the third time you've been on the show. It's always an absolute blast. Fourth time? This fourth is the time. fourth time. James has been on the show. Oh, because 39, 139, 139, 239, 239, 239, 339. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. All right. This is the fourth time you've been on the show. I, I'm corrected by Anitra as usual. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to make sure that you're always telling the truth. Absolutely. Are you able to make it out to any conventions this year? I don't know. I don't have any travel plans yet, but I usually go to PAX Unplugged because I just, I just love it's great. Philly. It's a great environment. It's, great. Uh, yep. it's a good time of the year. I always go to BGGCon now. I, I love the fall BGG con Aldi does such an amazing job running that. And it's a gaming con. So I just get to go out there. My gaming group usually comes with that one and we just play a lot of games. So uh, I really would like to make it to Gen Con, but that stuff adds up. You know, that whole me picking my head around the door analogy from <laughs> yeah. earlier. Yep. Yeah, I hear yeah, it. Travel's expensive. Yes, sir. Yes, it is. All right. Well, I think that is uh, that's it for us this week. We've got some wild travel coming up in the next couple of weeks, so I don't even know what's going to happen with reviews and podcasts and everything, but we're going to do the best we can. So until then, everybody, play, play games, games with your kids. kids.